It is very good to, is this working? It's very good to be with you all this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to James chapter 1. And while you're turning there, uh, I just want to start by saying it's hard for me to be here on this campus and particularly in this spot without looking out at those of you who are uh, both students and then also faculty and administration and not say thank you. Um, This place uh, holds for me very special memories, but more than that, This institution has impacted and blessed so many aspects of my life um, that 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 it's really really formed it in so, so many ways. My church, Second Presbyterian Church in Memphis, how many, there was whoops for Memphis. How many people are from Memphis? Is there, yes, I love y'all. That uh, my church in Second Presbyterian Memphis for the last three decades has been deeply shaped by men and women who've been impacted by Covenant College. Um, my brother has had the privilege to serve here for over 12 years. My son and daughter-in-law both had the privilege of getting uh, their degree from Covenant and also meeting at Covenant. I mean, that hardly ever happens, right, that you meet your spouse at Covenant. Uh, my wife and I also um, were able to get our degree from Covenant and meet here and actually get engaged on the backside of uh, the mountain just within uh, uh, eye shot of Carter Hall. And of course, it was mentioned the edge. I know some of you who came here as, as either work crew or as campers are like, yeah, the edge is awesome. Some of you in here who've worked in the summer when the edge been, is here, first of all, I want to say, I'm sorry. Second of all, I want to say, thank you. Thank you so much for your willingness. To, I know it would be so much easier for you in the summer that work here in the summer if the edge conference didn't come here. Um, and for those of you who are faculty and administration, you might feel the same way. It might be so much easier if we weren't here. I just want to thank you for letting us be here for the last 25 years because your service to, to, the, to the church um, has, has allowed for over 10,000 students to be here on this campus to hear the gospel and hundreds of them come to know Christ. Um, and, and almost all of those hundreds heard the gospel here in this room respond, with an opportunity to respond for the very first time. And of course, even the reason I'm here today, uh, which is to speak in chapel, but also looking forward to be able to meet with some of you who are interested in the Memphis Fellows Program. Um, I think the Memphis Fellows Program is the best. Of course, I'm biased about that. We were the, the fifth uh, Fellows Program started in the country, so we've been around for a while. Um, I think that we are um, one of the most, if not the most, diverse Memphis uh, fellows programs in the country. And then I think the worldview teaching is awesome, but not because of me, but because of Covenant College, because we shape it after that. I do, I don't, I don't want to miss the opportunity to introduce my friend and colleague, Brad, if you would just stand up and wave to all the people here. Brad is a, uh, a, a recent graduate of the Memphis Fellows Program. He's also currently a pastoral resident with us at Second Presbyterian Church. Um, and as I thought about speaking to students about any of our residencies, which we have a lot of them, so if you're interested in youth ministry residency, pastoral residency, a non-ordained women in ministry residency, or the Fellows Program, please come talk to us. We'll be in the lobby of Carter Hall and in the dining hall afterwards. Um, but I knew that talking to any of you was going to be way cooler. Brad was going to be way cooler than the 57-year-old man. So glad that Brad could be here. All of that gives me a deep, deep love for this place. And I would have to say this. I am grateful to all of you because your continued uh, impact in the world makes the degree on my wall look really good. So thank you. 
Thank you for what you as students are doing here. And again, any of you that would ever want to come to Memphis, we need you. We need students like the students here uh, in Memphis to bring the gospel uh, to that place, to bring uh, what God intends uh, in heaven down to earth and there in Memphis, Tennessee. So James chapter 1, I'm going to read just two verses in James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. I'm going to read verse 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in uh, the few moments that we have here together this morning, we would ask that you would open up our minds and open up our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. Lord, that you would teach us, you, Holy Spirit, know the depths of our hearts. You know where we need your word, where we need to be comforted, where we need to be encouraged, where we need to be exhorted, where we need to be rebuked, where we need to be reproved. And so, in your great love for us, would you please do that? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a student here a hundred years ago, as your chaplain pointed out, the circle that's now in front of Carter that's a sidewalk uh, was a driveway. You could drive your car up to the front of Carter Hall, um, which was great. But of course, campus security wasn't going to let you park there for like five seconds without getting a ticket. Um, So I don't know how great it was to have the circle there. It was just tempting and uh, it wasn't going to be very useful. My roommate was leaving on a Friday one morning to go out of town for something. I don't exactly remember what. And he realized when he got to his car that he had forgotten something in his dorm room. We lived in Second Central. And so he needed to, yes. Lived on Second Central. He, he needed to go back. I don't know if this is still true, but back then, student parking was like three miles away from campus. And so he's thinking, I'm not going to walk back up to my dorm room. I'm driving back up to Carter Hall. He gets up to the front circle and he realizes I don't want a ticket. I just want to run up to my room, get my stuff, and then I'm going. So he gets in this idea in his head, you know what I'm going to do? If I just leave the car running, they'll just think somebody's coming back or somebody's around. They're not going to give me a ticket. So John leaves his car running in front of Carter Hall. He runs up to his room, tries to find what he's going to get. He gets it. He comes back down. He walks outside of Carter Hall, and his car is gone. And he's ticked. He is so ticked. He's got to leave. And he's like, man, somebody's played a prank on me. They've taken my car, and this isn't funny. They've hidden it. So he goes back into the lobby of Carter Hall, and he's just mad. And he finds who's ever sitting there and he says, what do you, hey, what happened to my car? Did you see you took my car? I'm like, we don't even know what you're talking about. He's like, you do. I know you saw it. I know you saw who took the car. And then he goes and sees somebody else there who he is a friend of his. And he's like, you took my car, didn't you? Or you, he named some other people. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, John. I never see anything. He is passionate and angry. Somebody has taken his car and everybody in the lobby knows it. Well, that's what was happening in the lobby. Across campus, over here on the second story of the library, um, that, that windowed area used to be a, a room where a lot of sociology classes took place. And so some people were sitting there in sociology class there in the morning. And a couple of them, not paying attention to the professor, that never happens, looks out the window across the chapel lawn and sees somebody driving a car, bouncing it up the curb onto, towards the chapel, driving the car. And they think, this is hilarious. Somebody thinks it's funny to just drive a car 
across campus and across Chapelon. You know, what's going to happen to them? And of course, they, the professor says something or the class gets to miss, dismiss and they're talking about, man, did you see that? Somebody was driving a car across campus. I wonder what happened to them. Well, a little bit later, maybe 10 minutes later, there's some students leaving the chapel, going out that door and heading over to Carter Hall. And they see at the very bottom of the chapel, crashed into the very base of the chapel, is a car. And they're panicked and they're thinking, somebody's hurt. Somebody's crashed their car into the bottom of the chapel, like down three stories. And so one of them takes off running to Carter Hall to get somebody in security to find out, to get some help for this. Three different perspectives of what was happening. And you know what? Everybody was convinced of their perspective. John was convinced somebody has taken my car and he was angry about it. The people over in the sociology class were convinced that somebody was driving a car across campus and these people were convinced somebody was hurt and needed help. Everybody was convinced of their perspective and none of them were right. None of them were right because my great, brilliant roommate uh, just had left his car, uh, hadn't put his car in park. <laughs> and so when he got out and ran in, it just started rolling. And it started rolling till it hit the curb and it popped the curb. And then when it got to kind of the slant right out here, it just careened down the side of the hill until it hit the base of the chapel and crashed. Again, the perspectives of three people they were convinced of it, and yet none of them were correct. I am convinced, maybe you are too, or concerned that this exact same thing is happening in our communities and in our churches and even in our friendships and relationships. I don't mean stealing cars or not putting them in a park. I mean this, being convinced that our perspective is the right perspective and not even taking time to know if it's the correct one. That we've decided how we're seeing things is the way to see things. And that person is completely wrong. And all these different parties convinced. And yet, is anybody actually right about that? And we found ourselves, again, even in our churches, even in my church in Memphis, Tennessee, and, and in, in our relationships, maybe on this campus, we find ourselves being slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to be angry, convinced that our anger is going to help bring about the righteousness of God. We're fighting for righteousness. And yet God's word calls us to the exact opposite. The exact opposite. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, my beloved church family, Know this, everyone, every person should be quick to hear or quick to listen. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes and Proverbs just a little bit, but the book of Ecclesiastes has such great wisdom throughout that book. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, there's this great statement about how we should listen. It says this, guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice for fool, of fools. Be not rash with your mouth. Let not your heart be hasty to utter a word. I find ourselves, I find myself often so quick to speak and so slow to listen. And I think, and I notice this, that, that as, as I'm even quick to speak, as I want to, I'm not, I'm not listening, I'm not paying attention, that if I find myself doing that on a regular basis in my relationships, in my interactions, the reality is, 
we're going to find out that probably that's happening even in our relationship with the Lord. If you're like me, who's someone who's, who's slow to listen in relationship, you're going to find someone like me who can be struggle to be slow to listen in even my relationship with God. Now some of you in here are like, yeah, Todd, you're, you're probably a big mouth who talks all the time. And I'm not like that, you know. So yeah, I know people like you, Todd, who are, who are, who are slow to listen. But me, I'm a quiet person. Well, I think that God's word is an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> and uh, here's the reality. I think all of us have a tendency to be slow to listen. We may be quiet people, but we've already, we've already started speaking in our head. We've already started making assumptions and drawing judgments on people quickly. I don't know if this has happened to you, but you know, you, you have this, this uh, maybe it's, a, you're, it's an argument you're going to have with a friend. You feel like a friend did this and they need to be told this or somebody over here needs to be told this or whatever. And you're not going to, you don't necessarily have the guts to say it, but you've, you've gone through the whole discussion in your head. Like you've had the argument in your head with this person and you're thinking about, well, I, they would say this and I would say this. And I don't know if you're like me, but I've never lost one of those arguments in my head ever. <laughs> I'm 100%. I'm the best. I think we all find ourselves that way. Oh, yeah, they'd say this, but you know what? They need to know this. I think the challenge is for all of us to do that. And I do think that more and more there's this, it's, it's certainly in our culture, it's certainly in our communities, but I think it exists, sadly, it's snuck into our churches and it's snuck into our Christian communities and it's snuck into our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ where we think that to empathize means that we would have to agree, so therefore we don't empathize. Now, that's not true. The call for us to, to understand and listen, to care for each other, doesn't require 100% agreement. I can empathize with someone who thinks very differently than me. I can, I can truly know how they feel. I can seek to know how they feel. I can seek to understand what their heart is. Even if, if in the end I would say, gosh, you know, I disagree with your conclusion, but boy, I understand how your heart got there. And it's sad to me that more and more that's just something we don't even do in the church. We don't even do in the body of Christ. We're so slow to listen, slow to ask questions, say, hey, tell me more. Why do you feel that way? Why do you think that? Even if this person has a completely different view than us, you can empathize. I can empathize. Even with my enemies, I can empathize. I can, I can seek to listen and to learn. What, what were they feeling? Where was their heart? Even if I don't agree in the end with what they decided to do. God's word is calling us as followers of Jesus to be quick to listen, quick to hear. And then it goes on, slow to speak, slow to speak. All over the book of Proverbs, I don't know about you, but when I have my quiet times in the book of Proverbs, I just get convicted all the time. And maybe it is because I, you know, am so quick to, uh, uh, to uh, speak and slow to listen. But, you know, several places, Proverbs verse 10, excuse me, chapter 10 says this, verse 19, when words are many, trans, transgression is not lacking, <laughs> but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Basically, it says, Todd, when you're just talking a lot, you're probably messing up somehow. When words are many, transgressions, uh, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Or in chapter 17 of Proverbs, verse 27, 
It says this, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, but he and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Todd, if you had just stopped talking, people might perceive you as actually having something to say. But when you talk, man, you can look like a fool because you're so quick to speak. Basically, Proverbs is saying, Todd, shh, stop talking. Just hold on for a second. It says, be careful not to just speak our minds. And of course, that goes back to that our argument in our head. So we can be quick to speak even if we're, not, if we're a quiet person. We can be quick to make assumptions. Right? If I walk across, if, if I walk across campus... Excuse me, if I'm at church at Second Pres and Brad, who's a good friend of mine, we pass each other in the hallway and I see Brad and I say, hey, Brad, and Brad looks at me and then looks down and keeps walking. I can make a lot of assumptions. They're probably going to be, be wrong. I'm probably going to assume, gosh, Brad doesn't like me. Brad's a jerk. Brad's, I'm going to do all these things. But there could be other reasons. Brad might have just gotten in a fight with his wife, Bree. Um, Brad might be really stressed out about his seminary classes. Brad, there's all kinds of things. If I'm speaking in my head by making assumptions about people, then I'm being quick to speak rather than slow to speak. And God's word calls me to be slow to speak. And finally, it says slow to anger. Slow to anger. Again, in Proverbs, so many places. Proverbs 14, verse 17, a man of a quick temper acts foolishly. Proverbs, excuse me, Proverbs 14, verse 17. Proverbs 14, verse 17. 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. Proverbs 16, verse 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes away a city. Proverbs 19, verse 11, says this, if I can find it. (laughs) Proverbs 19, verse 11, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. You know, it seems more and more that there's even this call that we as Christians are supposed to fight and be angry. And we start justifying our anger because we're fighting for the righteousness of God. This is a righteous thing, so we should fight. We should be angry about it. And we're quick to, to point, oh yeah, remember Jesus. Remember how, what he did in the temple. He cleansed the temple. And that's basically what we're trying to do here. And I'm like, whoa, hold on. As we look at one, Christ, who fulfilled all the law and the prophets, who is himself all the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, let's look at this whole life of Christ. Was he someone who just went around cleansing the temple? Now the reality is, is if you look at the life of Christ... Here is someone that we find who is quick to listen, slow to speak, and someone who's slow to become angry. It's real easy for us to say, well, I'm just, I'm just like Jesus. I'm cleansing the temple. It's a righteous anger that I have. But is it really righteous? You know, verse 20 in James, that second verse that I read, very interesting, the wording that James uses. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Just because I'm angry doesn't automatically, as a Christian, doesn't automatically assume that what I'm doing is producing the righteousness of God. What is 
the righteousness of God. How do we? Well, of course, you all know. You've been blessed in this place to know what does produce righteous, the righteousness of God. Well, it's this. It's Christ in you. It's Christ in me. The righteousness of God is not produced by my, my challenges to whatever. My, it's Christ in me. That's what's producing righteousness. It's Christ himself. He is the fulfillment of of what we're reading here in James, and he's also the empowerment to do it because you and I are terrible at this. Well, maybe you're not, but I am. I am, I am very often slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to become angry. But when I look at my Savior, I look at someone who fulfilled this in his life. And then empowers me by his indwelling spirit to live this out, this truth. I love this place. I love Covenant College. I am truly grateful for every one of you in here. Because again, your commitment to this place and what you're doing. And then when you leave here and go out in the world is making such a significant impact that you continue to bring great value to my life when I get to say I'm a graduate of this place, I get to do it with pride because of you. This place that I love, as many of you know, was deeply impacted by the teachings and the writings of Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer wrote this one book near the end of his life, and the book was called The Church at the End of the 20th Century. And he talks about what he calls the final apologetic which he says, taken from John chapter 13 and John chapter 17, refers to the unity that we are to have in the body of Christ, that people would see the love that we have for each other and the unity that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ, and they would begin to understand Christ. And Francis Schaeffer writes this, I am convinced that in the 20th century, people all over the world will not listen if we have the right doctrine, the right polity, but are not exhibiting community. If we stress the love of God without the holiness of God, it turns out only to be a compromise. But if we stress the holiness of God without the love of God, we practice something that is hard and lacks beauty. He goes on to say, as he talks about this final apologetic of the way we would love each other and care for each other, be in unity with each other, he says this, our love in the church, at Covenant College, our love will not be perfect. But it must be substantial enough for the world to be able to observe it. Or if it does not fit into the structure of the verse and the verses of John, 15, John 13 and John 17. If the world doesn't observe that among true Christians. Then the world has the right to make two awful judgments of us. That we are not Christians and that Christ was not sent by the Father. Jesus says, they will know that you are my followers, my disciples, the way that you love one another. And so, loved ones, dear ones at this place, ones I respect, I say to all of us, I say to me, brothers and sisters, let us love by being quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty and the truth of your word. Lord, would you please sink 
those things deep into our hearts. And would you empower us by your indwelling spirit to live these truths out, to truly follow our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was attacked, <laughs> he was mocked, was willing to suffer the reproach of men in order to secure our salvation. Father, may we follow in his footsteps, taking up our cross every day. Lord, it's so hard for us. It's so hard for me. But I know you, by your Spirit, can help me, can help us today. Father, we pray these things in the matchless name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.